Welcome to the Ninja Tune Podcast, and it's a very special edition this week as we have Dave Akumu from The Invisible, interviewed by Ed O'Brien from Radiohead. This extended interview is set over two parts, and in this episode, they talk about the Invisible album Patience, which is out on Ninja Tune, the process of recording an album, how they originally met, and they talk about some of the music they experienced growing up. Extraordinary. I'm I'm sort of realising my dreams here. This is this is Dave Akumi from The Invisible. Um, I'm sat in the roundhouse with with Ed O'Brien, one of my favourite humans and musicians. <laughs> and I was just saying earlier on, I feel a little bit like I'm a really spoiled child that just gets whatever he wants. Because <laughs> I was like, they were like, who would you like to interview? And I said Ed O'Brien. And then now he's here, like, um, and he has to interview me. But I'm, pro- I'm I might try and do some interviewing as well on the sly. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a conversation. Ed, thanks so much. It's for, a pleasure. For being it's here. A, such so a pleasure. Cool. We've, you know, our friendship in the last four years, when we crossed paths, has been. It's been so important for me as well, you know. We always have these great discussions about stuff that hopefully yeah. will carry on this afternoon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Suddenly we're just going to freeze yeah, and realise that out. yeah, there's no connection here whatsoever. This yeah. is going to be the most awkward yeah. two hours, no, one hour yeah. or something. Yeah. So you... <laughs> but, for, but I want to say well done. Thank you. Congratulations, because, you know... Yeah, making a record is not necessarily the most straightforward process, is it? No, no, definitely not. It's um, it's kind of costly in, in various ways. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. a beautiful thing that I mean, you know, you as we were saying earlier, you sent me what is pre-masters. Yeah, of this record, yeah. I was I was a little bit eager. Yeah. Um, For folks who don't know that, that means it hadn't been, you know, I always think mastering is a bit like framing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. You take a picture to a framer, and you can you can adjust the, the highs and make things sparkly or the, extend the bottom end. Exactly, yeah. It's sort of, yeah, it's, I guess it's sort of almost like trying to preserve the integrity of what you've made like yeah. in, in a certain way so that people will experience hopefully what you've intended yeah. even if they're listening to it off an iPhone or something. Yeah. They'll still get a sense of what you meant sonically yeah. from it. So. Was it straight, I mean, was it sonically, uh, we've, you've ended up at this place is it is it what you wanted it to be is it like is what you were aiming at or did it did you go off on this kind of journey that you were just you know amazed and frustrated at times or all of the above or, yeah all yeah. of the above which i think is exactly what making a record should be I, I i came to a point in this process where it was one of the sort of frustrating periods um i'd i guess to sort of put it into context we'd we'd had such an emotional journey making the second one like yeah. maybe even more emotionally intense than usual I think making records if you're going for it is always an emotionally you've got to be invested in that process yeah. and there's like a depth to it and you have to be prepared to take risks and be vulnerable and you know it's about growth and 
all of these really profound things, even if you're just trying to have fun. You know, it's still about those things and certainly the way we try and make them. Um, but the second one was particularly poignant because I lost my mum, like, through the process and that sort of defined the tone of the record and that was just this kind of very, for me, a very profound exploration of, of grief and loss and how to reconcile yourself to that stuff. And um, I guess, like, having passed through that, you, you sort of... Well, it, that atmosphere never leaves, you know, and it never should really, but um, but you do kind of enter a new landscape and you're trying to work out, okay, what do I want to express next? And about halfway through that process, I did have this, you know, sort of a, a kind of period of difficulty with it where um, definitely something was going on. I was like exploring like a new colour in my writing and, and, and wanting to really embrace a freedom and a joy and a gratitude at, at just what we'd managed to pass through together. Um, but not everything had fallen into place. And I remember just thinking, oh, yeah, even though this is really annoying and painful in some ways, it's it's so valid. It's so... This is actually what is... It's part of what gives it its value because what you what's forged through that process, um, which does, like life, kind of encompasses pain and, as well as joy. And, you know, all my favourite art, music, whatever, has that kind of quality to it. It's about the whole the breadth of the human experience and and so if you're not kind of going through that stuff in some ways it might not be that true yeah and i think it's just about how you navigate it and who you do that with and the quality of your connections and communication basically yeah. journey in life I, I, I don't know if this rings true so at the start of a journey the start of a record you have this incredible energy mm. it's like this ball of energy that that you know you're just so excited this is the greatest <laughs> yeah. thing it's like the start of a great trek you're yeah. gonna or swimming across a mighty river you're just ready for it you know <laughs> you train for it and then you know so you have that that and you need that because at some stage down the line, on that walk, on that swim, on that making the record, mm. it gets tough. 
and 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 I think that what sorts of like is actually just continuing is sometimes yes and like in life like you're saying yeah it's holding on it's trusting in the way and it's sometimes putting one foot in front of the other and you may you know that's that's digging deep isn't it absolutely yeah and it's true and you and i think all projects i think they have this curve that's very similar and it, it's really hard and you know and you get moments when you get moments of levity and light and then it all comes it kind of comes into focus right at the end yeah i don't know if that rings true, but i certainly think everything i've done of anything that's worthwhile or that that that's a very sort of it's almost like um the hero's journey yeah yeah we can be heroes oh hell yeah <laughs> let's be heroes that's yeah that makes it makes so much sense because yeah. i guess what you're you're describing like the attributes of of process and yeah that's sort of what is so important about life you know and I, I guess it's why I think artists will always want to make records because there's a there's a unique thing about going trying to kind of get to the end where you've made something that's a coherent and truthful statement that's sort of quite substantial in a way it takes yeah. takes a lot and just you know practically whatever on so many levels just to just to pull all those threads together and I think going through that process is is really really valuable for humans and I think that's why how whatever happens with the music industry and um, anything else I think it's something that people it will be it will always be important to people in, in one way or another you know I don't yeah. know what you feel about that yeah no I the people that you do it with it, 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 if is uh, the, the common experience is, is 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 everything I mean it's funny because you know so how many records I've been involved with nine records with Radiohead and I think that I've slightly changed a little bit I mean I right. think that for me looking back on it now the journey is everything yes. the end result is great yeah, yeah. you know and you're really happy that you've got there and you're really happy you know when you've got the luxury of people liking your stuff then that's amazing and, mm. and maybe I'm taking that for granted and I'm, I hope not because I don't but to me the things that I remember it's mm. the shared memories it's the shared experiences it's the journey it's like you know it's like raising a family it's the kids you know you get snapshots what are we I mean relationships are a collection they're, 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 they're collections of memories that things that you do experiences that you have together and, yes and it, it yeah it's it's for me the journey is everything now and I, I and before it used to be I don't know if you've ever found this but now I embrace the tough times because yeah. I kind of think they're there for a reason yeah you know how can i grow from this how can we grow from this and, and having enough of the tough times or those moments whereas you know in the early days it was just like oh god i just you know <laughs> only 12 more hours till we finish this day you know <laughs> clock watching and how do i get through it which i'm sure a lot of people do sure but i like i think maybe that's one of the things with age isn't it perhaps that you kind of you and, and experience that you go you know what Okay, this isn't easy now, but there's a reason for it. And just hold your nerve. Don't take it out on one another. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or, definitely. You know, all that stuff. Yeah.
when I spoke to you about, I guess the start of the record, right, was when you went to LA. Was that it? Kind it? of, it sort of felt like a beginning. It's so hard, isn't it, to sort yeah. of break these things up? Because in a way, again, I think taking that emphasis away from like a product, in a way, you know, being the the most important thing, you know, you. What's liberating for me is actually feeling like I'm just I am in a, on a much wider journey, and it's yeah. it's a process. And from one record to the next, they're just like landmarks, basically. Yeah. And that's that's you know learning about that has been really really important because it allows me I think to be freer with my creativity and maybe not so precious about it and um, just to see it as this kind of ongoing exploration but it then makes it quite hard to sort of de- delineate exactly when things started or, yeah. but in you know in a sense I think we did have a period before I went to LA um, we had this amazing three days where me and um, Tom and Leo and, and I got together with our friend Lex who you know Lex, Lex don't you yeah. um, one of, another one of my favourite humans uh, amazing um, engineer and producer and and person <laughs> and uh, we we got together with him at conk and and just started chucking ideas around and had th- just three magical days you know where you have those that sort of time where you're like i just how can i structure my life so that i basically do this all the time <laughs> that was it was sort of a, a little season like that and that felt like the beginning of of, of the record to me um because we were finding something new yeah. um, you know it's that thing of like where you just feel like you're in a different field or something and just looking at the world in a slightly different way and we were we were swapping roles and just being as free as we possibly could and being very playful and we generated a lot of material in yeah. that time and um, then it became about working out how to advance that and finish it off whilst being sort of pulled in lots of different directions in a really positive way but I had a lot of production stuff going on and yeah. you know we were all, we all kind of we've always been busy doing other things so just creating the space to sort of um, complete our own work sometimes can be challenging um, and that led to the trip to LA I want you to outside it as do leo and tom and yes. Tom, tom's the, the other thing he's a young dad isn't he yes yeah so yeah. he's got the others do you as is leo actually as, as well yeah, now, I'm, really? I'm the one who has to catch up Muzzle top. yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah um 
So do you have a do you have a sense when it's time to to, to put some time into the invisible? Do you do you, or do you have a hunger? Is it kind of is it is it like do you feel it in your bones? Is it yeah, big time. It, it's it's pretty primal. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting the manifestations of it because it's yeah like anything in life if you yeah. don't sort of tend to what you need, yeah. it, the, the cracks start appearing or yeah. something starts happening. You know, I, I often liking that stuff to like it's like an itch that yeah. is scratching <laughs> you know so you know I get like that where I'm just having a whale of a time in a studio and then I'm like I really want to play live or yeah. like you know oh God, I want to make a record again I just I just want to spend time with Tom and Leah you know there's these you just get these really really powerful urges and it feels like such a profound need for me I mean yeah. making music does but specifically making music with those two um, is it's something that I need in order to be okay in a way so, how did you meet I mean yeah. where, I don't I don't think I know I mean all I heard was that you you're great jazz musicians together that's that's the way yeah, I yeah, talk yeah. about Nibis Basia oh, they're just an amazing band because yeah. they they're all jazzers jazzing off basically <laughs> <laughs> any opportunity <laughs> um, yeah well, well that's true that's yeah. a big that's a big part of our, our DNA um, I met Tom um, actually near here um, he grew up in sort of Tufnell Park around there and, um, I met him when I was about 16 and I was going to school in London I was at Pimlico and, um, which was a school at the time that had a very very strong music life and I was encouraged to go and audition at a place called the Weekends Arts College which basically had music workshops on it Saturday and Sunday, hence the name. <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, they they also did like drama and dance, and it was such a great place. I, I, at the time, there were musicians who I really admired, like young jazz musicians, and whose records I had, um, who'd all sort of passed through that that institution. And so I'd sort of heard of it, but I really didn't have any idea about how these things worked. I just basically followed the advice of a teacher who said, go along to an audition on a Saturday morning. And I arrived, and suddenly there were all these people from all walks of life, all ages, just in a room, sort of taking turns playing music and auditioning for these classes. And um, I met some really amazing people there. I ended up attending for, for a year, and I'd go and do these music workshops every Saturday, and it, that became my church, really. Mm. It was like, um, yeah, it was the first time, I guess, the combination of my school and that place. It was the first time I met people my own age who just had this extraordinary relationship to music. They were, they were often much better than me in a way, or much more developed musicians, um, but they had this very relaxed, open-minded relationship with music and they those people sort of taught me my most valuable lessons really about about music and how to play together and yeah it just became this thing that I I had to do and I I kind of have some really strong memories from that that time I mean one was um meeting uh Tom Skinner who's a who's a fantastic drummer in fact he I think um I don't know if you saw when um, the Atoms for Peace gig here at Winnie Sagoma. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, right. that's Tom's that's band, Tom basically. Yeah. yeah, so Tom is, I kind of met him around that time as well. He's a couple of years younger than us. And, um, you know, there was just this kid, this like 14 year old, like playing the drums. Like, he wasn't playing the drums, he was playing music. You know, it was like, um, it was just like an extension. It was just the most natural thing I'd ever seen. And I remember we ended up hanging out and I went round to his house and his bedroom like one side of the wall just had um i i thought at that time that i had quite um 
I, I thought I was quite knowledgeable about music and had sort of broad tastes and stuff, but they sort of extended from like James Brown to Grace Jones <laughs> and back or something. I don't know. I was like, yep, I know it all. Yeah. And then I got around to Tom's and he was like pulling out these records, like, you know, and, like one end it would be like Neil Young and then it was like Messiaen and then it was yeah. like Slayer, Public Enemy and just Charlie Parker, Ornette Coleman. Just this 14 year old kid was just like, wow. it was just immersed in all this music and he would just share it with me in a sort of super wow. casual way and then we'd play in his his mum's front room and his mum's was an incredible um, classical concert pianist and so there was just a you know yeah. this very rich tradition of music sort of all around me and I kind of learned to play with these guys and I met Tom around that time Tom Herbert who plays bass in The Invisible who's um, like a, a brother to me really and, um, you know we were in the same class and I used to go to his house afterwards and we'd carry on listening to music and I'd eat his dinner and that sort of, <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing and um, yeah and that's that's where it all started and then I met Leo we both met Leo a couple of years after that and we've sort of been playing in one form or another ever since then and Leo you know he he's just fascinating because he started playing the drums very well relatively late I think like maybe even in his early 20s or like late teens and but he comes from such extraordinary kind of musical heritage his his mum is is Norma Winston who's just an incredible incredible vocalist and musician and um his his dad who passed away last year is um the great John Taylor who's one of my favorite pianists and John and Norma had a band with um, another fantastic musician, um, trumpet player called Kenny Wheeler. They had this really amazing and unique band called Azimuth, and they made records uh, for ECM. And uh, I used to have a couple of those records as a teenager. So when I met Leo, I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> like, <laughs> can what? I come around to yours? Yeah. Like, is there any chance? It took a few years, but we did eventually go around to his dad's and play some music together, yeah. and that was a, a life-changing experience. just so fortunate to yeah. be immersed in this bizarre world that kind of where there were no boundaries with music yeah. it was all music and they loved you know leo introduced me to techno and um but also you know to like groups like can and you know and all this stuff and it was just amazing we were just kind of i just felt constantly inspired really you but you just listening to the good music you know, because <laughs> good music is in all forms, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah, and exactly, and, exactly. And you, you, when, you're, when you're usually one sort of, you know, like when you're younger, you know the good music from your particular genre that you like, but as you get older and you meet people, you go, oh, that's great. Oh, that, <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. I don't yeah. like that. And yeah. You understand that it's the good music, and the good music can be in any form, can't exactly. it? Exactly, that's, yeah, it's very well put, actually. Yeah, Just exactly. the good music. Like, interesting, I mean, I, Slayer, like, you mentioned Slayer just then. I mean, I don't know any Slayer, but a bit like, because when I was a kid, 
I wouldn't listen to, you know, I wouldn't listen to anything with long hair and I didn't hear Led Zeppelin <laughs> until I was 26. Right, right, right. Um, I was... I like the fact that hair played a sort of important role. In your yeah, life. it was It was a bit nuts. It was the influence of post-punk, unfortunately, mm. you know, which was another great form of music, but it was, it kind of was very, very stratified and there were very, very definitive rules. Right. There the, were the definitive rules. But I think that that thing of, you know, it's, it's found in it. I remember seeing Sepultura, Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. at a festival in the 90s um, you know again a kind of Brazilian heavy metal heavy rock band yeah. I would know, and I'm thinking oh my god this yeah, is actually this is... really profound this, there's something primal about this mm. thing so you know it's like it's just it's just listening to the good music isn't absolutely it? absolutely it's I'm everywhere so... I'm such a yeah. I feel like that period of my life really taught me those values. It was like because these people, you know, we are kind of creatures that we're led by example, and it's so yeah. important the examples that are set before you. And just being surrounded by people who, it's something that I've always, I kind of, I just always yearn for in life. It's those people who don't see boundaries I guess you know whatever, whatever form that may take yeah. but actually they see value yeah. and understand the value of things and yeah. that to me is always incredibly inspiring and just at, at that time yeah these these guys they just had that in in just bucket loads of that attitude yeah. it was like that you know there's no judgment here if you're into something really complex or technical as long as it's basically got heart and yeah. it's true and equally if it's like total like boneheaded stuff then yeah. let's go there let's enjoy that yeah. and you know we'd sort of yeah try and bring all of those elements together in whatever we did that is so important because for me i mean one of the things that you know when, when i grew up the taste police were out in force <laughs> you know so we grew up and they were real you know it was really it was really limiting and and you know so the 80s it was like what tribe are you in yeah what yeah. what gang are you in and i mean i was i was in the post-punk smiths you know, yeah. indie, you know, and I didn't listen to Led Zeppelin. I, I, I wasn't going to listen to Led Zeppelin. I'm, you know, <laughs> the Mondays, Happy Mondays, Stow Rose has changed it all because suddenly dance music. But like we didn't, you know, in Oxfordshire, we didn't listen to R&B really. Sure. Um, and I, and unfortunately it was a really, it's one of the negative aspects of, of our child and growing up. And the band had this thing, and you know what? I'll tell you the best thing that's happened to me is having kids in so many ways. Mm. But also, got a 12-year-old son and 10-year-old daughter, Sal and Nuna. They love music. And I and I said this to my wife last night, Susan, I said, you know what? I, I, I'm relearning how to listen to music. Neil Young has this, he, said, he put it very well, he says it's a bit like going through the wall because you, I don't know if you ever found this, you get so saturated with hearing music and yeah. you, you also see the cyclical nature of music as well. Absolutely. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. You go, oh, I've been here before, yeah. like 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very, very, very easy to get cynical about it. Mm. And, and, and I think that's also obviously a reflection of one's own life you know i think i think unhappy people tend to get cynical mm. you know, i'm fortunate i'm a pretty happy person but hearing music through the ears of my children has been amazing yeah that must be pretty it's it's, it's awesome. bonkers yeah. i mean it's really really amazing and things that you can't i'm never gonna listen to that yeah um like on the pop end of stuff sure. i mean i'm talking so it's very easy to kind of like it's very easy to listen to neil young you know you yeah, know, yeah. You know, but but for me um yeah, you know, I, 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 I can be I can be totally honest. Like, you know, one of my daughter's favorite films is Mamma Mia. Right. You know the other. Yeah. So you know, 
I mean, you know, obviously ABBA in the 70s was huge. Yeah. Like, it was a part of, you know, part of the charts which dominated. But I never owned an ABBA record. Mm. And in the 80s, mm. if you, if ABBA, <laughs> you know, oh my God, they're the billion selling, you know. Yeah. And, and that kind of, unfortunately, that shadow is cast upon so you forget. You know, you, you not forget, but you, it, 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 it alters your judgment so that you make a, you're being very judgmental about this music. Watch Mamma Mia, Christmas. Find it, and we're all together, and it's a really beautiful moment where it's like Christmas Eve, and you know, and we're all and we're watching it, and I was like, these songs are amazing. <laughs> oh my god! Did you get super evangelical? Oh <laughs> my god! I got spine tingles. Wow. I like, I, and even with Pierce Brosnan singing. <laughs> I mean, that's the test, isn't it? Really? Yeah, that's, that's a like, real test of Meryl Streep. Like, okay, but that's... the song, the beauty of the song comes through, you know. And, and and listen, she doesn't just listen to Abba. She, when Bowie died, she went on a Bowie odyssey. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think it's really, really, really so important. And I feel like I've th I've been kind of like throwing off, shedding some skin on this because right. one of my favourite, um, in the same vein, one of my favourite things, and I'm going to ask you about some records in a sec. Yeah. One of my guilty pleasures, and I'm not, I think guilt, actually, guilty pleasures is such a it's shit. It's a terrible, it's a terrible, terrible word, because yeah. music, there's no guilty pleasures. Yeah, absolutely. But one of the things I love <laughs> is, <laughs> is Radio 2 on a Saturday afternoon, Pick of the Pops, when they take a chart for an hour and yeah. they do the rundown of the charts. So, particularly for me in the 70s, it was a big thing for me because my dad, like, my introduction to music was my dad loved music and my mum, both mm. of them. My dad records on cassette the top 40 and that would be, Brilliant. you know. In, yeah. And then he, and so, and I remember one, uh, I remember I was, it was an autumn, not the last one, so to what, 2014, I'm raking the leaves, it's a beautiful, crisp November day. You know, I'm, I'm making an attempt at gardening. I'm feeling good about it, but I'm in nature, I'm outside. You it's know, all good. It's yeah. all good, yeah. and, and the, the leaves are dry, and I'm raking up the leaves in the garden in our house in Islington. And I've got the radio outside, and I'm listening to Tony Blackburn doing, I think it's like 1978, it's mm -hmm. about December 19th, November 19th. It corresponds to the actual week, you know. Right, right. And in that top 20, I'm telling you, man, there was... <laughs> There was uh, there was Bob Marley um, with like at number nine there was Bob Marley with Jammin at number eight there was Bill Withers' Lovely Day Ooh. at number fourteen there was something like there was Nuggets. an ABBA song one of the it was it, I, I want to say Dancing Queen but I, and I think it might be yeah. and this top twenty uh, ELO at number eighteen with Mr Blue Sky down from birth down to eighteen <laughs> Mr Blue you know and uh, Tony Blackburn and, uh, with, very uh, good you know. And it was just, and I was just like, oh my god, yeah. this is incredible music. Yeah, yeah. You know, Bill Withers next to, next to, you know, I'm still kind of vaguely obsessed about that time. The 70s was such a rich, but the important thing being was that it was a time that reminded me of when I was young enough that the taste police, I wasn't trying to be too cool for school, mm. you know, and. You know, I've been guilty of that, definitely in the park. I'll listen to, I'm, I'm going to listen to, you know. And actually, it's like, it's rubbish. And yeah. all it does is hold you back. Absolutely. And, and, and anyway, being judgmental about things is rubbish. I've learned that in life. Being judgmental about people doesn't get you anywhere. You yeah. know? You're just serving out your own kind of frustrations or whatever. But, you know, I, I, it's so great hearing you talk with, you know, about this experience that you've had because 
that's how it should be. It's all yeah. in there, isn't it? It's yeah, just completely. Like good music. There's good music and there's bad music and bits in between. You know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I feel like that's been a well that I've been able to sort of draw from yeah. and also just keep myself in check because I think you know we're we're human, we're flawed. We all fall into that. You yeah. know, it's like it's it amazes me. You know, like I can I can sort of be sort of have a prejudice towards even things that I love or like yeah. you know what I mean it's yeah, that yeah, weird totally. thing you're just like why are you making these assumptions or and particularly we're kind of I mean I don't know if you find this but I definitely it's harder to like something I, and I'm, I'm definitely over it now but I couldn't admit I you know I couldn't admit to something that was so overtly commercially pop yes that was utterly brilliant right I, I definitely used to struggle with right you couldn't yeah, and I couldn't. think a lot of people do you know I'm, I'm perhaps I'm definitely not alone in that club but no. I'm, I'm so over that I mean I thought I mean the thing you know when when I when my kids played happy you know repeatedly on a loop and I just thought every time I heard it, it got better yeah, and better yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like oh my god yeah, you know is, what am I this is just this is heavy this is heavy, <laughs> it's this is heavy class, basically, you know? yeah so um yeah. okay so massive more. massive hats off to Pharrell yeah yeah incredible and that massive and Vivian think, Westwood hat yeah <laughs> Is it, is it a Vivian Westwood hat? Yeah, that, you know, yeah, that, that the big sort one. of, I think so. Yeah. yeah, it's a strong look, isn't it? He rocks yeah, it well. Yeah, he really does. get back to the record set but i want to i want to ask you about because i know this is part of the format and we're going to slightly comply with it yeah just only slightly we're going to give it we're going <laughs> to give it up go? for the man just a little bit okay. a small concession <laughs> so we've got man. five records yeah one of them i know rubbish it lists blokes yeah. and lists, all, <laughs> blokes and lists. Rubbish, isn't it yeah, yeah we know that <laughs> We should, how we, you know what we're going to be? We're going to be like Prince in the moment, right now. Yes. Because yeah. he was a man for the moment. Yeah. And I've got a great Prince story I'm going to tell you. So. Yeah, yeah, I look forward so, to that. So, <laughs> obviously, one of those records is Prince. Yeah. That, that, so, we lost, I mean, we're not going to even go there because he was. I mean, I know, I mean, it's interesting because one of my formative memories is seeing you in your studio and there's a big Prince poster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. do you want to yeah. go there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, especially because it's his. His birthday tomorrow, and, and also, yeah, I don't know. Prince kind of saved my life, and and um, you know, in the same way that music saved my life, and you know, I don't know. I the first record I bought was Sign of the Times. Oh, um, I did like a double whammy: Sign of the Times and De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising. Oh. Basically, those were my first two purchases. I, I, Ever? I, I, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, you're too cool for school without even knowing it. Jesus. But that was, it was only because I'm the youngest of eight. So, okay. I, you know, yeah, I, okay. I had a lot of steering yeah. going on before that, you know, yeah. before that sort of purchase in Woolworths happened. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty great place to start. And I needed that music at that time. I guess I was about 11 or something. And, um, I was I was having a pretty shit time. I was having quite a hard time. A lot of change and a lot of confusion. And um, music saved me. And Prince was a huge part of that. And there was just um, I guess it's like everything. You know what? If if I had to sort of 
pinpoint what defines the good stuff, like what I'm looking for generally in, in expression of any form, whether it's now having a conversation with you or watching a film or music or reading or whatever, engaging with like other human beings, basically. I, I want to feel, um, I guess, a sense of... Um, well, it's that thing when you feel like someone's being themselves and it gives you kind of licence to be yourself. Yeah, you're and, OK. And you're yeah, not alone. You're not alone. And actually, like, an excellence isn't something to fear. Like, no. striving for that is actually can be just the most celebratory ex- sort of expression of that thing. It's, you know, and it's interesting when you kind of... You know, it's obviously the dynamics are so complex and sometimes you might see something or experience something really great and how you respond to it is also a reflection of how you're feeling about yourself or whatever. But I do feel like the masters of that stuff, they just unlock that in you. They unlock that sense of like, oh my God, I'm just, I'm I'm alive and I'm me and I'm not alone. And actually I've got something to offer and all all of that stuff. And I guess there there are a few people who gave me that feeling and Prince was one of them even though he was so sort of other and alien I guess uh, on in one sense and I remember yeah. at that time I didn't understand how music worked or how I, you know I thought maybe special people created music yeah. but it didn't alienate me no. you know at the same time I felt included in that and I felt so inspired and weirdly sort of understood through this kind of like hypersexual slash religious music yeah. <laughs> I just yeah again I think it, it sort of you know, that word art or whatever, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, maybe just true human expression. I think it, it does always encapsulate the full breadth, you know, and I felt that breadth in that music and, and yeah, it, cha- it changed me forever and I, I don't think I would... Well, who knows? Like, who knows how I might have come to music, but I definitely attribute that experience to to me finding... That, that route in my life so yeah I'm, I'm sort of eternally indebted to, it's, to it's, him it's really interesting with Prince isn't it because I mean you know the guy we, everyone always says this, the word genius is used way too freely but the guy was extraordinary genius. I told mm. you that story about Eric Clapton didn't I yeah I go, t- tell this to the listeners <laughs> so a friend of tell mine, the listeners yeah, a, a friend of mine knows knows Eric Clapton very very well yeah. and, and um, she said that um one, you know, quite recently, in the last few years, Eric was asked by some fan, how does it feel to be the greatest living guitarist on the planet? And he said, I don't know, ask Prince. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that. he's right. Yeah. You know, Eric Clapton knows. I mean, yeah, he, yeah, he's yeah. An, he's he, he knows. He, because Prince, you know, he's that thing that he's the source. The source goes mm. through him. He's mm. not the source. Yeah. You know what the yeah. source is. Yeah. The source goes through him. He yeah. was an incredible conduit, an incredible... Extra- and like you said, otherworldly. I yes. mean, you know, interestingly, Bowie and Prince died this year. Mm. And Bowie was always about, spe- you know, a lot of Bowie's imagery is space and being. But Pr- Bowie, I always think, is very, very human. Yeah. And, and kind of rooted in Brixton, South. Yeah, London. yeah, yeah. Whereas Prince is truly, yeah, truly. I mean, he's that. had, he's had, he's come into this planet for a, for a short period of time, but mm. he belongs somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, you know? definitely. But the thing I think with Prince is really interesting that, that and 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 actually we were in fact my wife and I were watching um, uh, a little video made by a fan today about um, being in Paisley Park around it after mm. he died. It's right. like a fan thing. It's very moving. And one of the lyrics came up to um, track off Diamonds and Pearls called "Money Doesn't Matter Tonight." Yeah. 
this incredible political lyric.、Mm. I mean, very much like Sign of the Times. Yeah. And he had this ability. I mean, he covered so much ground, but he had this ability to just maybe because he it just came through him, and it was because he lived, he truly lived in、mm. the present. One moment, like he said, he could be so political and so like on it, like and the next moment he's he's humping all night long, <laughs> you know, and he can't get enough. And it's 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 really really interesting because the other thing that I think people forget is, and it's the way that he is portrayed because the media can't really. Handle someone like Prince because、no. he doesn't play the game.、Yeah. He doesn't fit in the stereotypes. Journalists would not understand him.、Mm. They do not. They, but they, the way they define him is as the ultimate little sex machine. Sure. And and all this other stuff really, you know, gets got a bit lost. I mean,、yeah. you know, Prince obviously. Yeah, I mean, he, he played his, his part. Yeah, exactly. He's got he's got something. <laughs> he was. So, yeah, he's maybe slightly responsible for that. But I, but but. but So yeah, I mean, you know, is there is it so like out of your one out of five? What's what's the prince? What's the prince one you're taking with you?、Um, well, yeah, I guess I guess if it's a, I don't know, it's yeah, lists whatever, they're yeah. reductive. Right Today, now, right, right now, now in this moment,、yeah. I'm I'm kind of having a bit of a thing if if with if I was your girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, Sign of the Times would probably be the record because if there's you know just、yeah. the, for all the reasons I described. I was in the studio with Paul Epworth. We were working together, and、um, the news came, and you know the atmosphere just, you know, well, like what happens in those times. But it, it hit me so hard, and all I could do was, as is often the way, is sort of write music. Yeah. So I sort of disappeared into like a little side room and started writing a song. I kind of wrote a song、um, for him, and and I. 
just been thinking about that track a lot for some reason um, over the last sort of few weeks. So yeah, I just I love that piece of music so much. I yeah. just think it's totally extraordinary. Here's my Prince story. Yeah. Our lawyer, who's a great guy, this guy called Andrew Myers, massive, massive Prince fan. Right. And he was telling me because I met him afterwards. He was he was just you know really upset. Mm. And uh, he saw I think he saw some like five or six shows when at the O2 when Prince came into that residency. Yeah. And he's part of you know Prince is really good with his fan club as well. He's really good. So you had access. Did you did you were you part of the fan? Club? No, I never okay. did the fan club thing. But yeah, I, my brother was actually. Okay. So yeah. So you um, had access. He would be really cool. You could come into sound checks. Yeah. He would do stuff for you. So he got access to. There's a small venue. Is it called the Indigo? At the yeah, O2? at the O2. So yeah. he would do notoriously do the after party. You know. Yeah. So um. I think he went to one, he had tickets for two of them. The first thing he went to, Prince did a no-show. Obviously wasn't feeling it, and mm. everyone doesn't mind, because, you know, it's yeah, like, it's, it's whatever, you know, it's, he's not feeling it. The next time he went, um, so it stuck, the band come on stage about midnight in this little club. Everyone rushes forward. Mm. Andrew says he stays at the bar, because, you know, he doesn't need to, you can see it from He's from, Andrew you know, Myers, yeah. he doesn't need to he get into the fray. <laughs> Anyway, everyone's looking, the band are doing the warm-up routine, Prince isn't on stage. Anyway, this figure comes with a, with a hat, comes and stands right next to him. He looks over, it's Prince. And Andrew said, 
what do I say to Prince? You know, and Andrew's yeah. a pretty cool customer as well, but he's not going to say anything that's untoward. Yeah. Or yeah. Like, I, 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 <laughs> so, you know, like me, I probably like, yeah. I, like got cotton mouth and go, I just love him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he, he's a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, so he he's... goes, he goes, he just goes, thank you. Thank you so much. He said, is there any chance you play girls and boys? Because that for him, growing up in Manchester mm. in the 80s was like the trap. Mm. So anyway, Prince disappears. The, the band are in their, you know, the band are playing and the, the band are playing, you know, they're playing the intro to the song. Mm. And Prince comes on and says, whoa, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm playing this for my friend. This is girls and boys. Whoa, I mean, come on. Myers must have just yeah. shot what? up into space yeah, or something. Like, I don't know. Moment. Can yeah, you imagine? I mean, I no, love, that's, that's the, again, the, the, just the fearless. I mean, it, you can't even think of a word of, you know, like mm. fear and Prince in the same no, sentence. No. Or, but that spontaneity about yeah. being in the moment. Yeah. And of course, being in the moment isn't necessarily, I mean, it's it's not the easiest place to do. And it's also not necessarily the easiest thing being with people who are purely in the moment. Sure. Because responsibilities and stuff like that you get thrown be, out the window. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's an interesting, but, but, you know, incredible. So incredible. Incredible. Yeah. record so yeah. you told me you said it's it's a funk odyssey and it is yeah definitely. it is yeah what were inspiring you so you obviously prince is like he's the foundation yeah, he's, like a sort he's of, always there he's always there in some yeah. shape or form. he's always there so who else have you got going on there oh man i guess i don't know who are the the staples um grace jones yeah. Yeah, and you work with her as well right yeah i've had the the privilege of, of working with her and um yeah it's it's funny i was just I was talking to my to my girlfriend yesterday about that thing of you know people say never meet your heroes. I'm like, I'm really enjoying meeting my heroes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going really well, you know. It's like I really like that stuff. I'm yeah. yet, yet to be disappointed. Grace is another really, really big one for me because I, I grew up in Vienna. So I was born in Vienna um, and, you know, youngest of eight. Um, yeah. From, Can I ask why you were... Because I, I don't know. Why were you in Vienna? Um, well, so I suppose it was a form of um, self-imposed exile. My dad had a, a pretty... He's had a very colourful life and he had a, you know, difficult relationship with the Kenyan government and right. basically... Um, yeah, set up in Vienna and was working for the United Nations. So, oh, okay. so I was, yeah, my my brother was born there and then I was born there. So yeah. I'm, I'm the youngest. And 
um, that's where I grew up till I was 11. Wow. And um, yeah, it was kind of, I mean, I, I kind of loved it because I was the youngest, so I was yeah. spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm a musician. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Often the youngest is a musician. Something yeah, like I that. can do anything. Yeah, you can do it because yeah, the parents the, like it. Yeah, yeah, that exactly. one's got the proper job. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get away with murder. Yeah. So, yeah I'm, I'm Try being very... the eldest and being a musician. Oh, <laughs> oh we'll get on to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I have very fond memories of that time because it was... It was it was the last time that we were all together as yeah. a family and all under one roof, and I just loved it. You know, I, I have six sisters, and wow. they're all just incredible human beings. Like, I don't, yeah, they're just all amazing. They're all my heroes. And I don't know, it was just, I, I really loved living there. But, you know, when you're growing up, that's what you know. And yeah. now I can see that there were, there were some quite unique things about that situation, you know. Um, and I suppose. Even then, I can I remember a sense of like otherness, I suppose, you know, because I'd, I'd have a thing. It's really funny, actually. I had a similarly like a recent experience, which I'll get onto because I might have to work through it with you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, you know, we'd, we'd have like experiences like we lived sort of outside of the, the city center, kind of in a little suburb, and um, you'd have to get the train into town. And it was one of my favorite things to do. I'd get on the train with my sisters. and be full of these kind of yokels who <laughs> basically just couldn't deal with like, I mean they would just they'd look at us like we were from another planet because there weren't any other black kids no there were no there were no other black kids around and, and um, you know so you grow up with this awareness yeah. of like you know when, when you've got like sort of old people like touching your hair on the train oh. and stuff, <laughs> you do sort of kind of go oh yeah right okay so I'm I'm different from you in some way that kind of makes you kind of lose your sense of propriety or whatever. And sometimes there'd be really ugly sides to yeah. that. Sometimes it was curiosity, whatever. But um, so I, sometimes you were viewed as being exotic, and other times you as being as unwelcome, unwelcome, yeah. and like and a what threat. What are you doing here? Threat, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you, Austrians, I'm, I don't want to stereotype yeah. Austrians, but they're not noted for the. <laughs> They're liberal. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, Maybe there's some, uh, there are I'm some. I'm sure there's, any there are a few liberals. Yeah. Be, <laughs> exactly. They'll be the liberal ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, for their conservatism. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a there's a strong conservative yeah. strain. So, um, you know, we experienced all of that stuff growing up, and and um, wow. I I guess that, you know, as as a sort of I I was brought up. You know, until a couple of years ago, I had a Kenyan passport, and you know, my parents are both Kenyan. They're from sort of neighbouring villages and and by Lake Victoria, and they instilled in us a sense of like our heritage, I suppose. Yeah. You know, as best as they could, and we used to go back there, and you know, so I guess growing up, I, I had this sense of like, what is identity? Like, where? Do, how do all these threads fit together? I'm sort of, yeah. you know, I go back to Kenya, and in some ways, feel like a stranger there. Yeah. And I didn't. That wasn't my mother tongue, and like I grew up speaking English and German, and you know, it was all kind of pretty weird and wonderful, and kind of a lot to to unpick. But I guess I even remember at that age, like six or seven, having this sense of like, okay, where do I fit into yeah. things? Um, and my my parents, you know, they they instilled a level of like fundamental confidence. Like, you know, I felt like we had, you know, 
what we were was good you know yeah. it was that sort of feeling in the yeah. house but sometimes when I stepped out of the house I was having a different experience would you have that at school I mean would you, would you did you have many friends or were you viewed kind of would you have the same experience at school um uh, well I, so I went to an international school okay. in, in Vienna and so that you know uh, that was more mixed and broader but even there sometimes you'd, you'd, you'd encounter some quite quite interesting attitudes I remember being told that everyone was born white <laughs> that was quite interesting oh, by, really? by like an Arab dude <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm really sorry to break this to you. Um, there's some, something, and he was like, he was convinced that that's how it worked, and for some reason, some people just ended up with kind of more melatonin or whatever. Um, so I'm was, laughing now. But I'm only laughing because of the ridiculous. Yeah, it's absurd. You got, yeah, you have to laugh. Yeah. But Grace, in the middle of all of that, yeah. comes Grace Jones. So yeah. um, my sisters at least a couple of them I think they sort of thought they were Grace Jones because they yeah. used to dress like her <laughs> go yeah. to like clubs in Vienna so I sort of grew up you know kind of you know by osmosis sort of imbibing this stuff and I'm, I just I have a very clear memory of seeing the artwork to slow to the rhythm and not really understanding that it wasn't real yeah. I mean I knew it wasn't real but yeah. I didn't know how it could not be you know the sort of extended Jean-Paul Goud like extended face yeah. and she's screaming on the front yeah. I just remember thinking that's the most beautiful and the most terrifying thing I've ever yeah. seen but there was something in that I felt like it was it was speaking to me in the same yeah. way that Prince did and yeah. it was saying be yourself like don't compromise yeah. like be free like all of this stuff and as a sort of six or seven year old growing up in the outskirts of Vienna that was a powerful message I'm just playing around, baby. Work for days, men who know wheels must turn to keep the flow. Build on up, don't break the chain. Sparks will fly when the whistle blows. Never stop the So I'm, I never felt kind of British or English. I've got right. Irish, I've got Jewish, you know, Austro-Hungarian, Jewish. I've got American, whatever American is. All this yeah, stuff, yeah. anyway. Yeah. And, 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 but, but during the 70s, and it's no coincidence, I don't believe in coincidences, the strongest, some of the strongest cultural figures were black. Mm. You know, so you had Ali, who every kid knew, you know, every kid... For me, growing up in Britain, I was massively into cricket. So the 1976 West Indies cricket team that came over, which there was an amazing documentary that came out about three years ago, four mm. years ago, but you just wanted to be Viv Richards. Yeah, you wanted yeah. to be Michael Holding. Yeah. Plus Bob Marley. Mm. There was this explosion. And I think obviously, you know, it, it, it but it, I, I just don't believe it was a coincidence. It was this kind of, you, you know, there was this whole kind of, I don't know. It's like 
the ruling elite yeah. try to put a lid on it. The ruling yeah. elites that have, that have existed for, you know, the last 500 years. Yeah. They try to put a lid on it. It comes from, it comes from the West, mm. this kind of Western imperialistic, very, very, uh, very um, condescending, very arrogant, you know, born to rule. Sure. But but you can't keep culture back. You no. can't keep and you know and like it's really interesting hearing you speak about like these people because you know it was it for me growing up it was you know it might have been different. It was my father's generation because there were no black kids or sure. Asian kids or you know Chinese kids or whatever. But when I grew up, there were all these there were all these you know really really important cultural figures. But mm. I guess for you being in Vienna. Mm. Like this very white conservative country, you know, you would latch on to things like Grace Definitely. Jones and yeah. that the imagery of those records is so. She, I mean, Grace Jones. Yeah, you know, I knew her as a model first of all. Yeah. Although yeah. I think "Slave to the Rhythm" is not although is a genius, genius song. Yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, yeah, those figures were so so important and. And again, it's a, it's about sort of putting a spotlight on those issues, yeah. but sort of obliterating them yeah, in the same step. Right. You know, it's like because you know one of I remember um, I have a guest who's a really really dear friend of mine, and he he produced Grace's last record, and um, I remember him saying, you know, one of the things I, I absolutely love about Grace is that she sees no difference between people. And, I just thought, gosh, that's a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to say, and it made me think of of my mum, who basically is, she to me is like the paragon of like love and acceptance, like literally, like I feel like the example she gave me leaves me with no excuse in yeah. terms of like how to sort of navigate life. Yeah. And, um, that is definitely some how I feel about her and her spirit. It, I, I'd see her kind of engaging with a child or like a head of state or whoever and it was exactly the Always same the thing same. all embracing um, accepting like yeah. non-judgmental yeah. but with a sort of crystal clear vision and then a sort of capacity to just connect with another human being and I just I, you know that that's something to aspire to Ed O'Brien from Radiohead interviewing Dave Okumu from The Invisible. They continue the conversation in the second half, so make sure you grab that next week in the second part of the Ninja Tune podcast. Slave to the rhythm. Slave to the rhythm, to the rhythm.